Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Wright, and I'm joined again by Matt Lalloyan. Matt. How are you doing on this fine and kind of spooky Monday yeah. morning? It's a little foggy out It's today. a little foggy. It's setting a nice little little tone for, for uh, Halloween tomorrow, Old Hallow's Eve, All Saints Day, the day. I mean, it's, it's that kind of week, right? A little it's, gloomy, little gloomy Monday morning. A little gloomy. I did see this funny thing over the weekend, Matt, where it was like an SNL parody of <laughs> Hallmark movies, Ooh. where it was like the small town girl I thought, goes home. I thought they were a parody of themselves. They, <laughs> they are, but small town goes home and falls okay. in love with the small town serial killer. Oh, uh, and oh that's okay. It uh, was a lot. That's a twist. That's a twist. Uh, on it, <laughs> it made me laugh. Uh, that's yesterday. great. That is fantastic. That's a genre. Hallmark starts like Thanksgiving through Christmas. Like that's it's like much yeah. more that era. Yeah, we're that season that time of the of year. year. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Halloween's not. They haven't quite ventured all the way back into to Halloween, but we could come up with some fun. That'd be a fun party game. If your Bible study gets together socially Ooh. this week, come up with like potential Hallmark movie names for Halloween themed Hallmark movies. Ooh, that's pretty fun. That's a, that's a really good activity. I love that. Yes, yeah, there you go. Uh, on the more serious side of things, uh, how was yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yesterday was great. We uh, we were continuing on in the series in Exodus. Um, we've gone through now Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea. We've seen like in seed shadow form. Uh, and we've seen so many connections over the book of Exodus to Jesus and to the fulfillment that Jesus brings to these promises of God. We've seen connections to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So yesterday, mm-hmm. we're in the desert. Yesterday, the we desert. came through the, the Red Sea. And that, that actually um, jumped out at me again in being in this text that, that God doesn't deliver his people directly into the promised land, yeah. but into the desert. Mm-hmm. And the parallel for our own life that, that when we are saved by Jesus— uh, we are saved into the desert that is yeah. this world. And so the sermon yesterday was about that and about specifically how the desert uh, is meant to be both a place of, well, it's meant to be a place of dependence, mm-hmm. uh, but also is known to be a place of defiance. And and we see that play out in the Israelites uh, and there in these, these three accounts uh, from the end of Exodus 15 to the beginning of Exodus 17. There's the bitter water at Mara. There's the bread from heaven. Uh, in another part of the wilderness, and then there's the water from the rock at Massa and Meribah, uh, there in Exodus 17. So, kind of, kind of walked my way through through that in the sermon yesterday. Uh, tried to draw out some some points of implication, application um, for both dependence and defiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, because man, it would just be a, a crime to not do that. Um, to try to like help people see really how so much of the, this text actually anticipates Jesus's fulfillment of these things. Yeah, this these uh the passages that we've been in gives us such helpful I like to say shelves in our brains yeah. to hang our hats on or this the substance of what we're we're thinking about and talking through in our Bible studies or as we're personally studying these texts. Yeah. To actually understand the work of God and his redemptive narrative and then see Jesus more clearly, which is really fun. And I I think helpful to that, you also mentioned yesterday, Matt, that this is kind of like the first of these desert narratives that we're seeing of the people of Israel throughout this pattern of 40 years. Yeah. Uh, And really more specifically, uh, emphasis on water, bread, and the rock Mm -hmm. uh, being really, really important in the the midst of that. So I think 
I think it's really helpful for us to even be thinking about as we're swirling about this, as we're thinking about what we've covered so far and where we're going and looking ahead to Jesus. Um, it's helpful for us to like remind ourselves of these paradigms that Scripture is using to to teach us how we re- rehearse our faith yeah. day in, day out, week in, week out, in yeah. places like our Bible study. So that's right. Uh, it's a pretty pretty fun thing. Um, yeah, we have a lot of questions. We do, which is today. great. So, we didn't think we were going to, no. but it's like all of a sudden yeah. they've shown up, and we're excited about that. Monday morning, they're like like at least half of these came in this morning. Came which is in great. within like the last hour, yeah. which is awesome. Yep. And the first questioner is is kind of asking specifically about the water yeah. piece that that we kind of talked about in that first section on dependence. You talked about Israel just coming through the Red Sea, delivered mm-hmm. not into a fun Disney story, That's right. uh, but into a desert wilderness. Yep. And in this desert wilderness, they're really thirsty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their only source of water, the questioner m- mentions here, um, is this really bitter water yeah. that uh, we're, you and I are batting around. Was it impotable? Was yeah. like, it, could yeah. they what did they the text mean by they they couldn't drink it did it just taste bad was it yeah. terrible for you would it make you sick i have so many questions yeah um and i think this person has that question as well and they're they're wrestling with this idea they've just been delivered from the sea uh they've seen the egyptians bury their loved ones they've seen a lot of tragedy they've experienced slavery themselves and the questioner then in all of that is saying uh, would god only intervene after the weak and the frail died off first Um, could they be assured that God would make the water drinkable? Yeah, that's a great question. Because we, from the benefit of looking back on it from being so far removed, we can have a pretty negative read of the Israelites in these Mm -hmm. moments. Um, I mean, we, they, they did see, it's only three days after coming through the Red Sea. So they have seen some incredible things from God, some really Mm -hmm. miraculous provision. And so, um, so should they have been able to rely and trust that God would provide? I think there's. it's fair to say that because of what they'd seen, that they should have been able to do some of that. For sure. Now, again, um, but it, but in this moment, like it, this, we're, we're looking back on this. Mm-hmm. So we know that God also was going to like provide water for them in miraculous ways in the wilderness, like in this moment, and then from the rock in, in, oh, in yeah. the third account of this text. So we can look back with kind of that chronological snobbery and judgment of uh, well, if I were there, I would have just trusted God. And the reality is, is I would not have trusted God. Yeah. I, would, I would have been the grumbler. And you I asked that question yesterday. Yeah. What kind of people can like yeah. remember, like just have gone through the sea and yeah. then forget and complain? Yeah, and I could. I think I even saw some people <laughs> raise their hands when you asked that question. I did. Yeah, yesterday. that was great, and that was that was right on. That was honest. It yeah. was that's us, right? We would. If, if any of us think that we would not have been among the grumblers and complainers in this moment, you're kidding yourself. So I think that's a fair... You're probably complaining in that moment. <laughs> that's right. And and I think it's actually really fascinating that in this first instance at Mara, there's there's not even a little bit of a hint of rebuke from mm-hmm. God. Um, you can't live without water for more than like three or maybe four days. It's, yeah. it's, you're, you're, at the, you're at the precipice of, of dying from And they're in the thirst. desert here, too. They're in the desert. And so I tend to think that the water at Mara was probably not potable, like was probably not drinkable, mm-hmm. because I think if it was just like a, this is bitter, it tastes bad. Yeah. If you're on the brink of like dying from thirst, you're, you're going to drink it. Like you would, you know, if you were dying of thirst on a life raft in the ocean, you'd probably still try to drink salt water, even though it wouldn't actually help you, but you, yeah. you'd try. Sure. Um, so I think, I think that's probably the way to read this, but it, it's not completely clear from the text. 
And I do think that God has a lot of compassion for them in just in just saying, Moses, throw that log in, throw that tree and whatever it was into the water. It makes yeah. it sweet, makes it drinkable. And that, that God is so patient and gracious in actually both of these first two accounts. It's, it's mm. only when they turn around and start to test God, yeah. put him on trial in that third account at Meribah and Massa, mm-hmm. um, that, that you get more of the sense of rebuke from God through Moses yeah. to the people. So I, I think we should have some compassion for the people. Yeah. I think they have been through a lot. I think they have seen God do miraculous things, but there also was no guarantee that this is, that God was obligated to, to do this for them either. And I think that that's uh, even like a helpful step back paradigm, even for us. And even to think about why, why is this Mara, this bitterness yeah. even emphasized in this passage? Huh. And you and I are kind of talking about this a little bit, but there, there is this like paradigm for our own hearts and evaluating our own bitterness. Yeah. Cause you, you talked about how it wasn't just the water that was bitter. It yeah. was the, it was the hearts of, of, of the people of Israel. Yeah. And that's setting up this paradigm that we're going to see throughout the rest of the old Testament. But I also yeah. think that we see it carried into our own hearts and our own lives as we're evaluating the nuances of life, right? Like yep. genuine responses to things that are really hard yeah. intermixed with our groaning and complaining yep. that bridges into defiance that we're, we're all living in this, this kind of like ripple effect of yeah. all of those things uh, crashing onto each other. Yep. Uh, we even see this word later. I love for you Bible nerds out there in the account yeah. of Ruth, uh, yes. Naomi, Naomi calls herself Mara. She renames herself because she's bitter yeah. um, because God isn't intervening in yep. her circumstances. And then of course we know the rest of the story uh, through the intervention of God's people uh, through Boaz, yeah. welcoming them back into the land and yeah. to uh, God's covenant faithfulness yeah, and promises. Right. And so we see this setting us up to think about how do we interact with all of this in our lives, which Absolutely. is really, really encouraging uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's still more echoes that we're seeing in this Old Testament passage that yeah. we can carry into our daily lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which, I, which I think is super helpful. Yeah. Um, maybe kind of going on, like drilling down a little bit, yeah. if a little bit further, you, you kind of talked about this in the two senses of God testing Israel mm-hmm. and Israel then testing God. Yeah. So we have two questioners yeah. that are really kind of walking through the the dynamics of that. Yeah. So maybe like pull back for a second yeah. and let's let's talk about what are the maybe like the nuances between hardship, mm. temptation, testing. Mm. Uh, what's a, a helpful, yeah. like maybe just like big picture biblical theology paradigm that is helpful for us to carry into our Bible studies these, this week, Matt? Yeah, that's really good because there's overlap in all of those things, hardships, trials, testing, temptation. Like there, there's an overlap in that all of them become an opportunity for dependence. They be, mm-hmm. All of them become a moment where our our faith, our trust in God to show up and meet us in those places mm-hmm. um, is, is, is tested. So that yeah. I, I guess I would, I would parse it out in a nuanced way and say hardships, which I would also maybe equate with suffering, hmm. is a product of the fall. Yep. And there's, just, there's, there's parts of this life that are just hard because not only are our lives, but all of creation is broken by sin, yep. is, is groaning, groaning for redemption. And so suffering happens. Uh, it also becomes an opportunity to trust God in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I would different, and then, okay, so then temptation, another category where 
the combination of the world being broken, but our hearts also being corrupted, a pervasive mm-hmm. depravity. It affects, we're not as bad as we possibly could be, but we, but every part of our, of our lives and world is affected by sin in some way. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what depravity, pervasive depravity means. And so our hearts are corrupted and want to elevate things that are not God to the position of God, either, either bad things and try to pretend that they're good things or to take good things and make them ultimate things. Mm-hmm. And so temptation comes when, um, the interplay of a broken world and our own corrupted hearts yep. uh, come together, and and we we feel we find the things that are wrong and broken outside of God's design appealing. Mm. So um, that's temptation. But and, and then here's a really important biblical nuance between the two: is that no God, uh, James talks about like no one should say when I'm tempted that God's that tempting God has me. Tempted me. So if it's a direct action of God, it's not temptation. <laughs> God is yeah. not tempting you to sin. He's not baiting you to sin. God is directly behind. Um, testing. Yeah. And you see that here in even the Exodus account. It's directly an action of God putting his people in circumstances that they will have to yeah. that will have and, to rely And James on. holds this in really helpful context. So I'm yep. going to read a couple verses Great. from James 1. Yep. Uh, starting in verse 12, it, uh, James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Yep. For when he has stood the test, yep. he will receive the crown of life. Yep. More like of that completion, sanctification into being glorified, being completed, the work that started in us, Philippians, it's going to be completed That's right. on the day that Jesus returns, uh, which God has promised to those who love him. Mm-hmm. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's good. Yep. But here's where the temptation yep. piece comes in. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire Verse 15, then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just like really helpful distinctiveness there uh, on temptation versus trial. Yep. Uh, And what is creation and groaning in contrast of God's sovereignty over all these things? Yep. But God is never going to tempt us to sin. That's right. We're, We're tempted from inside from of inside us, of us the, the um, part of our heart that is that that rebels against god the part of our heart that is yeah that has been fractured by sin corrupted by sin yeah so and yeah. with that so maybe then nuance toward testing yeah. and or trial yeah. so how do we distinguish between when we're being tempted or when god maybe is giving us a, a, a trial um yeah. that is testing our dependence and trust in him kind of like you framed on this text yeah yeah, I think God will directly, in all of us, maybe in different ways, but will put tests in front of us where we really are going to have to depend on Him. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that could be uh, relational. That could be, you know, I, I need God to show up and intervene in this relationship. For some mm-hmm. people, that could be financial. Uh, my bills aren't going to get paid unless God provides for me in some way. Yeah. So periods of testing or, or instances of testing or trial, which I'm kind of putting those two together, can become and often do become, unfortunately, moments of temptation for us. Like yeah. what we do with the test matters. Yeah. So for the Israelites, even they're, they're being put to the test here. Mm. It's directly a, a, a way that God is saying, they, then they will know that I am the Lord. He's doing it for their good. He's doing it yeah. to sanctify them. We're talking about yesterday. Mm. It's he's not, he's not tempting them to sin. He's testing them. Mm. What they do with it, especially in that third account, is that they turn around and, and they do sin with it. Yeah. So it does become a moment of temptation mm. where instead of choosing to trust God, their own desire, as James puts it, yeah. their own their own yeah. hearts start to go. I am now going to 
uh, I am tempted in this moment to act in a sinful way, and I'm going to access that. I'm going to I'm yeah. going to exercise that I'm and go give that. myself over to that. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's maybe that's where they're that's where they're overlapping and, yeah. and interconnected. That there's there's if you are in a position, um, not of your own making, not mm-hmm. of your own sins and consequences of your own sin, uh, whether that is suffering and hardship or whether that's testing or trial. Maybe the nuance there being like, is it like directly God is putting this in your way, like actively, or is it just like the world is just broken and you're just getting affected by the world? And like, mm-hmm. that, again, that's really nuanced because God's sovereign over all of it. It's kind of like, yes. Yes. It's kind of like, yes. Probably not always worth trying to even parse out in any given moment. But um, in any of those situations, I think you it would be right. You'd be able to see that as a trial, as mm-hmm. a test. And see that, that that is happening under the sovereignty of God and not as like a like a consequence of my own actions, yeah. my own temptation. Um, and and yeah, so I think and, and all of that to this to then say all of it becomes an opportunity to test God or mm-hmm. to not to test God. All of it becomes an opportunity to be dependent. Dependent um, and, upon and grow God in greater trust. And grow in greater trust yeah. and not and not put God to the test. Yeah. So you kind of talked about this yesterday in this kind of framework of both personal and then community. Yeah. So one of our questioners like drilling down just a little bit on this and saying they're giving more practical examples to what you're talking about. We've prayed for decades for intervention for people's salvation huh. or for uh, a loved one that, you know, might be really sick or yep. uh, what if we really want to have a child, but we can't. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we've kind of expanded on the theme of testing and dependence, but what does actual then like long-term dependence really look like when you're, you're longing and your circumstances don't change? You even talked about that a little yeah. bit on a personal note yesterday, yeah. longing for the easy things, but God's still giving you the hard things and learning mm. to exercise joy and dependence and faithfulness in the midst of that, even in your own life. Yeah. So what does this really even look like on the personal side? And then we'll get to the communal side as well. Yeah, really, really good. I'm, I'm really glad someone asked this question um, because that's real life. Like the, the dependence as like maybe is as flowery or beautiful as it sounds kind of in theory is that this is where it actually happens in mm-hmm. real life. And it's really painful when you've been crying out to God to in prayer to do something that 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 is right and good, that like would be beautifully a part of His good design and the yeah. way he's, he's orchestrated and designed and created the world, um, and it's not happening. And there's not a good reason for why it's not happening. There's not like an you know like it's this is just these are the painful, long suffering, sorrowful moments uh, and and instances and relationships mm-hmm. that even this person is asking about here. So, um. I mentioned yesterday that the only way we receive grace from God is, is like day by day. We don't, yep. we don't get grace for this stuff in a lifetime supply. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get answers to our prayers and the things that we're crying out to God for uh, instantly. We don't get them sometimes ever in this mm-hmm. life. And so I, I would say that it is still right and good to practice your dependence on God by crying out to him and taking that to him, even um, as we got into the, the second point yesterday about defiance, that there's that there's a difference between defiance and putting God on trial, putting God to the test, and like honestly lamenting and complaining to God. Yeah. And that God actually has a ton of patience, grace, and welcome of our honest complaint. And so I would, if I were this person, and probably already have, just just keep living in the Psalms of lament, um, keep living in 
um, the text in scripture where, you know, I think of Paul with whatever the thorn was, not that it even matters that much, but whatever it was that he's just crying out to God to change it and to give him different circumstances. Yes. And God's not answering that prayer. Mm-hmm. And God is like Paul. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you mm-hmm. for today, for right now. Yeah. Continual dependence and trust. There's not a, um, there's no silver bullet that like fixes this. Yeah. And that, and, and nothing short of heaven and, and the making of all things new is going to heal yeah. the longing and the wound that's there for, yeah. for these kinds of things that this person is describing. Yeah. Um, and so I would just keep exercising your dependence by even bringing the honest complaint and lament to God, um, crying out for him to answer mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe he will, and maybe he won't. And yeah. that's dependence. <laughs> yeah. That's dependence. And, and you even talked about this yesterday. There's some like, first, there's some ways that we can do this personally through exercising Sabbath as a, sure. a rhythm of grace yep. or daily Bible study and prayer. Yep. Uh, and I think the flip side of that though, is we also have this communal aspect of this where like, obviously we can bring our grumbling and complaining before the Lord, mm-hmm. but within good tension mm-hmm. and in a healthy way, we can also do that before others. Yep. Uh, knowing that as we're in that grumbling and complaining, we can help and pull each other away from that towards yep. seeing the good hope of Jesus, seeing the ways that God is at work in us when we don't see it for ourselves, yep. when we are not seeing those small wins that yep. um, help our, our small applications of joy, the way I like to put it in these seasons yep. where circumstances are just not lifting. Yep. Um, but man, I need to find something outside of myself that is going to yep. sustain me that can be applied in that like daily bread yep. component yep. of this struggle. So there's some good things there. Yep. Um, so we have we do have a questioner that's kind of asking a question on that side of things yeah. where um, what does a corrective conversation look like in community with a brother or sister who is bridging mm. from grumbling and complaining into defiance? Yeah. Uh, so uh, while sharing, uh, hmm. and does this change when we're in like a bigger group setting versus like one-on-one setting That's as well? A, yeah, it's a great question. And I see it as, as an extension, a direct extension maybe of the way I framed it yesterday was like, and it's, you know, uh, Psalm, the Psalmist in Psalm 95 quotes this instance from mm-hmm. Exodus 17, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter three quotes Psalm 95 yep. and then says, exhort one another every day. Mm-hmm. As long as it's called today, you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. So the exhort one another, the community mm-hmm. component. Yeah. And I see this really as an extension of that question. So yeah. how do we bring that exhortation to one another in community when we hear someone moving toward hardness yeah. of heart? This person said corrective conversation I love it. in yeah. quotes. So. I love it. Corrective conversation. Sounds like someone that's had to do this before, <laughs> um, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it, it you're able to do more in a one-on-one setting than you are in a group setting because in a group mm-hmm. setting and depending on the the length of time that group's been together, there's all kinds of variables that maybe matter in that moment. I would say in a group setting, um, a corrective conversation could happen maybe more in the form of questions mm-hmm. and and like, hey, tell me more about that, or like, hey, it's, it sounds like maybe you're really wrestling deeply with this. Do you feel like you know you are? You, like maybe uh, help me understand a little bit more about where you're coming from in that. And those kind of like more exploratory, curious kinds of pursuits of questions in a group setting that maybe help people just be able to clarify a little bit yeah. about where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas mo- almost all the time, I'm sure there are exceptions, but almost all the time, uh, the exceptions really come like in the Matthew 18 when you're kind of escalating it. Yeah, but yeah. There, if there's going to be a rebuke in it, if that's mm-hmm. what we mean by corrective conversation, 
then I think it's in, in fairness and in respect to the person that you don't do that in a group setting. <laughs> yeah. um, that you don't put them in that vulnerable on, on trial kind of moment in front of everybody else. Yeah. And more reflect to them as an exhortation, as a, as a brother or sister who loves them, saying, it sounds to me like maybe your heart's becoming hard in this. Yeah. And I'm concerned for you. Mm. I would love to hear more about like if, I, if you think I'm getting it wrong on that. But here's yeah. what I've heard you say. And here's where I'm concerned that's maybe moving from a, an honest complaint, a lament. And it's actually you becoming like bitter toward God. You putting God on trial. Yeah. Um, that's how I'm thinking about this. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, even in the one-on-one conversations, yeah. maybe we jump too quickly to rebuke without asking some more of those kind of point. exploratory questions that you're talking about. I think yeah. more times than not, we rebuke is necessary. Don't, sure. don't get, hear me wrong. Sure. But sometimes we don't have to rebuke yeah. uh, as much as we can be curious and ask good questions yeah. and, and actually do some of the work to uncover uh, uh, my old church, we used to talk about gospel fluency, uncovering mm, yeah. uh, what is it underneath the grumbling and com- complaining or, or whatever it is that you're kind of thinking about or, or nuancing in those yeah. conversations with others. What is the underlying root problem? So yeah. can we actually get to the root, not do quick rebuke yeah. to the behavior, yeah. um, but really uncover what's going on in our hearts that's yeah. actually having us grumble and complain. Yeah. And let's talk about what it looks like to reapply the gospel into that space yeah, and move from that point. So I would just caution against quick rebuke, even yeah. in one-on-one conversations in, in these discussions, because they're these are best done in a posture of knowing each other and a posture of humility and knowing and understanding that my heart is just as prone to grumbling and complaining as yours is. Um, And I I think that that is just like a healthy open handed way to come Mm -hmm. into these discussions. Um, And I think that goes a long way in longevity of even our, our one-on-one relationships. And I also think that develops trust for when we do need to rebuke someone. Yep that they know that we're coming out of a place of knowing and loving them yeah. as opposed to a place of just judgment. That's really good. Uh, it's really good. I would, I think that's spot on. And then maybe the only other thing that I would, would add is this person's coming at the question from the standpoint of when we're entering into someone else's life to exhort mm-hmm. them. I think equally important is the consideration of what's our posture when someone's exhorting us. Mm-hmm. Are we open to that? Are we humble enough to, accept and receive that? Are we looking for the good in that? Because often when you're on the other side of that, it, it doesn't feel awesome to be called doesn't out, feel great. to be corrected in a conversation. It doesn't feel awesome. So, but if the, if the heart posture can be, I really am trusting that this person is trying to exhort me so that I don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. That helps set up a tone for a conversation too, as yeah. opposed to the, you know, who are you and why do you think mm-hmm. you have the right to say that to me? If that's, whether we say that or not, if that's our heart posture, like that's, that's going to make the exhortation yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. And you, you talked about this, I think really helpfully yesterday, a litmus test is our heart soft to God yeah. or not? Is it hard yeah. to God? But I think the outflow of a soft heart to God is a soft heart toward one another toward and introspection yeah. to yeah. ourselves yeah. Uh, to actually rightfully see us for yeah. who we are. And I think that's a, that's that good. all helps this conversation and I think that's a helpful transition even to kind of our final two sets yeah, of questions. Great. So you, you did talk about Israel kind of mirroring the heart of Pharaoh yeah, here hardness of heart. Uh, in this uh, defiance and testing God mm-hmm. uh, themselves. Um, so this, the questioner is asking, you know, in, in the midst of this, what are some thoughts that can be 
uh, warning signs or indicators that a heart is becoming hard? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when, um, when, when the conversation changes from a posture of weakness Mm -hmm. and struggle and weariness to a posture of, um, like arrogance Mm. or like entitlement, like this is what God owes me. Um, that's a good little indicator. Mm. So like, there's so much margin, grace, patience from, you know, from Jesus, even like, and even like the fulfillment of, of, of the prophecies of like, he, he's not going to break a bruised reed or extinguish a smoldering wick. Like there's just, Mm. there's so much, care and compassion from Jesus for people that are the bruised reed, like like the smolder, like just a little bit of flame left in me. I'm almost out. I'm Mm -hmm. weary. I'm worn down. Um, That's still, there's still softness in that posture Mm -hmm. where, and that's a faint hearted kind of faith. They're still like, I'm holding on. I'm lashing myself to the mast of of Jesus (laughs) and trying to weather this thing that's going on. But I just have nothing left. All I've got is a grumble. All Mm -hmm. I've got is a, um, Whereas when it switches over to like, I did everything right. God is not doing his part of the bargain. God owes me this. I'm entitled to this. Mm-hmm. Um, that starts to be more of a hard, hard hardness where you are, um, you know, I use the, the phrase of putting God on trial, but where you're like elevating yourself above God to the role of judge. Mm-hmm. And you're now telling God why he's wrong and doing the things he's, he's doing. Yeah that's where it becomes more concerning. Mm-hmm. But I think entitlements may be one particular um, indicator that kind of yeah. like can, can tell us like, okay, the heart's becoming hard here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I think, so this quite, this questioner is also kind of maybe taking this a little bit further, like asking contextually here, um, can a true believer have a hard heart? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And right. the reason I think they're asking this question, because we see the people of God here, mm-hmm. God's covenant people. Yeah hardening their heart. And I think there is a step back question to answer this question. That is, yeah. is there something distinctive that is happening here with Israel yeah. pri- prior to Jesus coming and dying yeah. on a cross and being resurrected and yeah. sitting at the right hand of the father. And then for those of us that are in Jesus post cross, yeah. um, is there a dynamic difference as we think about and navigate that question? Um, can someone in Jesus, because that's the question, really, yeah. have a hard heart, a truly hard heart? Yeah. So I would say the answer is no to that on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And in particular, because the Father and the Son send the Spirit into our hearts. Uh, the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And you get into the whole idea of the Reformed conviction that we call the, uh, the perseverance of the saints, or maybe sometimes better called God's preservation of the saints. Yeah. That God keeps his people. <laughs> Jesus doesn't lose anyone out of his hand that the father has given into his hand, right? John chapter 10. So you mm-hmm. get this, this idea that those, and, and even the, the, the picture of regeneration, the mm-hmm. salvation picture that Ezekiel uh, anticipates and that Christ and the giving of the spirit fulfills is this idea that hard hearts of stone, hard hearts, are taken out and removed from us and new soft hearts of flesh are put into us, mm-hmm. which even en- enables us to have faith in the first place. Yep. So it, I think that's a, that's a, an accurate and faithful understanding of the biblical description of like, how does salvation happen? And the yep. fact that those who have new regenerate hearts from God are kept by God mm-hmm. does not solve the, the, um, 
really difficult questions about like, well, what about people that profess faith in Christ mm -hmm. that then walk away from faith in Christ? Um, and you have, man, like probably like you do too, Jenna, I have people that are dear friends in my life who mm -hmm. at one point or another have professed faith in Christ who have, who want nothing to do with Jesus right now. And I'll look back on what their life was before and say, man, all the indicators were there that yeah. that, that, that was not a, like, uh, that, that, that there was a, that it was a sincere, committed conviction, life change, fruit, all that stuff was kind of visible in those moments. Yep. And so it doesn't satisfy the ache of my heart for those people mm. to have just the theological grid and category that like, well, they probably never really had a regenerate heart. Like, like, okay, if you need the theological grid to check the box, fine. I think the Bible has that. Mm. Um, I don't think it's going to satisfy the heart level, emotional level question of like, what yeah. does that mean for the people I love? Mm. Um, I would say then on, on top of this, Hebrews has some really hard but important passages about um, rejecting what we have seen and that, that if we continue on in sin unrepentantly after having received knowledge of the truth, there, there no more remains remission for sins. Like really hard passages. Like who is that applying to? Mm -hmm. All that to say, mm -hmm. um, the way to pastorally navigate this, in my humble opinion, uh, <laughs> is to, um, yeah, and take this with a grain of salt, but is to, mm -hmm. um, if, if, if someone, again, to go back to the maybe previous question, if someone is... Um, is, is weak in their mm -hmm. faith. Uh, if someone is still has a softness toward God in their faith and they are struggling mm -hmm. and they are wrestling and they are that like smoldering wick, that's the beautiful time to apply the perseverance of the saints, preservation of the saints yeah. doctrine. You're like, you are kept by God, friend. Like you yeah. are in Christ. Mm -hmm. You are in this weakness of your faith. It is the object of your faith. It is Jesus that saves you, not the strength of your faith. Like, yeah. that's, that's where to go with the mm -hmm. pastoral if someone is presumptuous, if someone is saying, like, I'm a Christian, like I said, I got baptized or whatever. I was baptized yeah. as an infant and I, I said the, the prayer and, you know, it doesn't matter. I can do yeah. whatever I want. I can like, that's hardness of heart mm. that I would not at all be comfortable allowing someone to think like, hey, God keeps you. You know, yeah. you're kept by God. I'd say like, there's some hard passages in the Bible. I think they might apply to you in this moment. And yeah. I'm really concerned for what that means. Yeah. And I think another marker that you mentioned yesterday, have you grown away from the need for daily dependence? That's right. I, I think that's a really helpful question to kind yeah. of ask in this whole thing. And this question are also to ask, you know, what's the comfort for a Christian who's struggling with a hard heart? And I think you mentioned that a yeah. little bit in your answer, but I would also say that this text offers a response to that in Jesus being a rock. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in, that's right. In, you talked about this yesterday, but in the reality that in the text we see here, the people are complaining, they're yeah. quarreling, they're trying, they, they have some ill intent toward Moses and Aaron here, God's yeah. agent that is like as serving as mediators for them in this this role and yeah. responsibility. Um, and God still re responds to them in kindness in the fact that Moses strikes the rock. That's right. And he does not strike them. That's yeah. Mm, that's and huge. and that like that is the the reality for all of us. And mm -hmm. and you spoke to this yesterday, but in First Corinthians ten, we have this reality that Jesus is our rock that was struck for us, so that we did not have to yeah. bear the weight and responsibility, the striking, the punishment that we deserve. That's right. Uh, for our own sin, yeah. and in that, yeah is even in the midst of this transition from grumbling into testing God, into yeah. defiance, God is still showing his long suffering and mercy. That's exactly um, right. And that to me, man, like 
that makes me emotional. Yep. Uh, I don't know about like oh, totally. that, that just yeah. that in of itself, man, is beautiful. Yep. And I think that gives us even uh, some more substance to even what we were just talking about in these encounters with one another, whether yeah. it's one on one or a group. Man, like we can have the heart of God to to long suffer and to not strike our brother or sister uh, unnecessarily. That's right. Knowing and recognizing our own frailty as we we go into this discussion and knowing that our hope is not in us. That's right. That's and how right. we we live this out, but in our rock that was struck on our behalf. Well, um, well said, yeah. Well said. I don't know. That that makes me excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On this as, dreary, spooky. As well, it, as well, it should. Um, Matt, any other final thoughts maybe from the sermon this week or uh, as it relates to maybe some of the Bible study questions that you've given our leaders to work through for the week? I, th- I think, yeah, lean on those study questions. I think that's a, a helpful jumping off point. I think in particular, um, in light of these these last several questions, just the, do we have people in our lives that we are exhorting and that we are, and that, and that are exhorting us? And your Bible study is a, is a, it doesn't have to be this venue for everybody, but it's a great place if you don't have those people in yeah, your life to at sure. least start opening your eyes and looking around who God might have been providing to be that for you yeah. in his kindness. And to say, and even to, to say, if, to take the risk in your Bible study group and say, I, I don't feel like I have anybody that is exhorting me. Um, I, I want to exhort people and I need to be exhorted. I would love for some of you to pray about like maybe helping me out in that. That. that would be huge. Yeah. Uh, we need that. We need that accountability. We're not meant to live life isolated. Yeah. Um, and sin is deceitful. So we need to be encouraged, exhorted day by day so that we're not hardened. And I would also say our church staff is here to serve you. So yeah. if you don't know how to approach that conversation, maybe you're newer to the faith or you've never had that kind of relationship and you want to feel that out and what that looks like and what you're even asking for, yeah. um, come find one of our leaders that Absolutely. serve here in any capacity at Liberty. And we yeah. would love to point you maybe even some good directions of, of someone that might be helpful for you seasonally or whatever yeah. you're navigating in life at this point. So we'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, man, this is, this has been a fun conversation. Yeah. Oh, it's good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Jenna too, for like just the oh. stuff that you bring to this too. It's super helpful to how you're thinking through it and applying it and, and we got through like six questions. And I think we did it pretty well, too. We, so think we did all right. Yeah. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. Thanks for sending questions. Keep doing that. And um, we will be praying for you uh, this week as you jump into your Bible study groups and your discussions and, and pray that they're really fruitful and helpful and um, serve not only you, but our greater church community and, and being a church that exhorts well. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for uh, putting up with us in our long-windedness. <laughs> Uh, and we are hopeful that this will serve you well this week as you go into your Bible studies. Uh, we love you guys, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. And uh, join us again next week for yep. another episode of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side Podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.